Hello everyone, and welcome to The Good Lawyer Show. I'm your host, Matt Scrivens, and as always, alongside me is Good Lawyer's CEO and co-founder, Brett Colvin. Our guest on the show this week is Paul Patton. Paul is the former Dean of Law at the University of Alberta and someone who carries with him a wealth of experience in the legal industry that ranges from clerking at the Ontario Court of Appeal, receiving a doctorate in law from Stanford University, becoming a partner at a major Canadian law firm at a very young age, being a justice and social policy advisor to the Premier of Ontario, and more recently, working with the Arizona Supreme Court to help implement new regulations that, if adopted, will help lay the foundation for the most dramatic liberalization of the market in legal services in North America. And just in case you think I literally named everything Paul has ever done, you would be wrong because I've seen his resume and it's something like 25 pages, no joke. So that was but a brief highlight reel. So suffice it to say, when it comes to law, this guy knows his stuff and that comes out in spades during our conversation today. Before we get to the show, I would also like to mention that we are experimenting with a different format this week. We know you are all busy and can only sneak in so many podcasts during a week. And for that reason, we like to keep them as short as possible. The problem that arises when you have guests like Paul on the show is that they say too many damn interesting things to cut, and it makes it next to impossible to keep the show at a reasonable length. So instead of editing out great content, we decided to split the conversation into two parts. So this week, you'll be hearing the first part of our conversation. We discuss Paul's professional and academic history and how he became the Dean of Law at the University of Alberta. We also discuss some of the challenges facing legal education as the profession continues to modernize. Next week, we discuss whether the legal profession should be self-regulated and dig into Paul's more recent work in the U.S. to help modernize regulations and encourage the adoption of alternative business models within the profession. And just to throw in a sweetener, Paul even throws in a few great resource recommendations. And finally, we at Good Lawyer are offering free 15-minute legal advice sessions to you or your business on any legal issues you are facing. Simply visit our website at goodlawyer.ca and book your free legal advice session with one of our fantastic lawyers by entering the promo code GLSHOW. That's G-L-S-H-O-W in all capital letters. All right, time to get to the conversation. We hope you enjoy the show. Paul, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Very well, Matt. Thanks. Excellent. Well, thank you, first off, for being on the show. Uh, I, I, now, I believe you're in California right now. Is that correct? I am, actually. Uh, I've been on sabbatical this year. I finished off my five-year term as dean at Alberta, and I've kept a home here in Sacramento, California, so I've been staying in place, as they say, since March 9th. Uh, things right. locked down then, so this is not the sound of me complaining. Well, you definitely picked better weather than we did up in Calgary. Uh, I, it was pretty I saw awful the hail. First. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a billion dollars, they, they said over the weekend. We got hit with a massive storm and a uh, billion dollars in property damage. So 2020 oh. keeps getting better. But why don't we uh, bring this back here and talk a bit about your legal career and sure. how this all came about. So uh, as I mentioned before the show here, you're a gentleman who wears many different hats. Uh, so why don't you just start by giving our listeners a bit of background on yourself and just how you became to be the Dean of Law at the University of Alberta eventually. It's actually kind of interesting and I'll tie it back to the personal history and the story. I like telling this. I told Please. it at my farewell events. Um, my maternal grandparents were first wave Ukrainian immigrants and landed actually in what was then Strathcona for about a week and ended up 90 minutes northeast of Edmonton. Uh, as kids, 
with a group of immigrants that for the first year lived in a Saudi. And so, you know, Saud had basically trying to scrape out an existence at that time, essentially to uh, populate the prairie from the invading American horde. The, uh, the Brits were basically taking land and saying, if you can actually farm it for a decade, give your quarter section, that was yours. And so my grandparents were part, as, as children, came across as part of that. Um, so for me, the following generation, to be sitting at my first dinner as dean of the law school, next to the attorney general, sitting beside the chief justice of the Court of Appeal for Alberta, I thought, yeah, they've done pretty well. That's and awesome. getting a QC this year from the government of Alberta really put the icing on the cake that way, and it was really a tribute to their faith and confidence in the future. So. Education mattered. That's where I kind of started on that side. My father was a Scottish immigrant to Canada in the 1950s. So I'm technically, I guess, second generation on one side, first gen on the other. Um, born and raised outside Toronto, which I know can sometimes be fighting words in Alberta, but uh, <laughs> welcome me back mostly anyway. <laughs> Undergrad at University of Western Ontario for a year, then U of T, uh, graduate degree at Cambridge, came back for law school at the University of Toronto, graduated in 1992 clerked for the Chief Justice of the Ontario Court of Appeal and the judges there. Fascinating year. Loved what hit my desk in a day. From there to yeah. Bay Street, uh, I was an associate and then a partner doing commercial litigation with what was then Davies, Ward and Beck, which you know, when I actually, the announcement came out that I'd made partner, people said, oh, though, so that's where you've been for the last X number of years. Um, you know, what hours weren't you billing? But <laughs> wonderful training ground, litigation at the highest level, absolutely intense practice with people I, I respected incredibly and it was a wonderful learning experience. Uh, Why'd you leave? Um, opportunity actually. It was, you know, one of the things that was kind of interesting is, is the, if there is anything in my career path to be learned, it is taking a chance right. and leaving yourself open to using your skills and different experiences. And so somebody had actually approached me the Attorney General of Ontario at that point was looking for a senior policy advisor. Did I know of anybody? And they didn't assume that a partner on Bay Street would actually say, um, what about me? Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the, let's just say you're not doing it for the pay. But I thought <clears throat> public service mattered. Uh, I was in the family DNA. Long story short, went into discussions for that and ended up actually as Justice and Social Policy Advisor, not to the Attorney General, but to the Premier. And so I was in the Ontario government when Mike Harris was premier. Um, I was probably the red Tory amongst the neocons. <laughs> I had, there's a whole lot to be discussed there. Uh, again, loved what hit my desk in the day and had the chance to make a difference. Second half of first mandate. And so understand and very much respect what they were attempting to do and had a big part in it. I had health, education, community and social services, attorney general, solicitor general corrections, a lot of the litigation going on. You know, Bay Street kind of prepared you for that level of intensity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and totally. Absolutely fascinating work. And so, can I just I ask a quick question on that, actually? Because we are in, and this is a little bit off topic, but we are in an age of such polarized politics yep. right now. Was that difficult for you, or did you, did your sense of service to the community override that? My teacher friends didn't talk to me for a number of years. Two province, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> two province-wide province education strikes will end up doing that. Fair enough. Um, and all I could say because of confidentiality was, you should be glad that I'm at the table. <laughs> uh, but in terms of the actual dialogue, 
people were surprised. They, I, I actually think you can work, you know, it's, it's a fairly large tent. I very much respected what the premier was attempting to do. And the people that he was working with were some of the most um, highly thought of, respectable, respected people that I've worked with in my career. And they've gone on to do wonderful and amazing other things. Many of them served in Ottawa uh, when Prime Minister Harper was there. Others are, are serving in different capacities. There was a real sense of public service, understanding what the government's agenda was, and very consistent with what I teach my students in professional responsibility. I'm an advisor. My job is to give the best advice possible. I don't always have to end up agreeing with it. You would like to have things that are consonant with your values, but I think my training and having been a partner in a Bay Street law firm prior to doing that equipped me very differently than, say, somebody who's graduating with a, you know, an MA in poli-sci going right into a political advisor's office because they worked on a campaign. So I was given incredible opportunity to be involved the highest level and to not only get down into the weeds, but also up at 30,000 feet. I would disagree with people, mm -hmm. right. but then you arrive at what the answer is. You're not making it. It's their decision. And then the door opens and that's the government's position. Right. Well, Paul, I uh, honestly, I wish there was more like you these days. Uh, and sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You were in the middle no, no, of a great no. story. So I'm actually going to be introducing a course on lawyers and leadership at U of A in the fall. And one of the things we'll be taking a look at the roles that lawyers play, both as elected officials and behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I, mean, right. uh, I could do the entire course, you know, Attorney General Barr in the United States discuss, you know, you know come back three months later. But in, in dealing with some of the issues that lawyers will confront and seeing the impact that policy has on the day-to-day -day lives of so many individuals. I love working at the provincial level. And, you know, I, as I said, I didn't necessarily agree with every decision, but that wasn't my position to take. I wasn't the one elected. I was providing the best advice I could. Right. So the three themes of my career, if you will, practice policy, teaching, where and in what order and what combination really have been <laughs> kind of determinant. So started off in practice, did the policy work, spent six years in-house with PricewaterhouseCoopers, helped them mm -hmm. actually launch their affiliated Canadian law firm, um, advised them on all of that policy and regulatory issues connected with dealing with law societies and the like. And then there was this minor um, interruption called Sarbanes-Oxley and the biggest <laughs> overhaul in securities regulation and regulation of lawyers and accountants since the 1930s. Yeah. Um, no shortage of material in that regard. And from there, I'd actually taken a leave of absence, went to Stanford, uh, had a fellowship there, did my master's, started the doctorate, and at one point was combining work on my doctorate at Stanford with work advising PwC with teaching full-time at Queens. So not a lot of sleep was happening, but it's an <laughs> interesting kidding. life. So, you sound well, like and, you were and, bored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I like that segmentation, you know, practice policy and then, you know, teaching all of the, and you know, I can't speak to your, to your practice years and I can't speak to your policy years, but I can speak a little bit to your teaching years and to, to what you wrote about and, you know, you getting involved with good lawyer innovation has sort of, been the umbrella on top of all of that, um, at least since since I've known about you and, and got to know you personally. Well, it's innovation, but it's also in the public interest. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a theme that actually crosses a lot of the areas. I mean, as, as I was looking at becoming an academic, you know, do I do this full time? I'd actually taught part time at the University of Toronto while I was at Davies. And so, you know, again, it was a case where 
both actually for me there wasn't this big divide that there is for others mm -hmm. uh, between the world of practice and the academy but in in being able to have impact things that you do impact, speak yes and yeah. having impact in different ways was really important as a lawyer for me working with my clients i still remember actually working with a few ceos in kind of bet the farm litigation very early in my career where you realize that as the lawyer, you are making an incredible difference to their lives. And you have that opportunity to help shape direction of companies or you know, the manner in which employment litigation is going to go or whatever the situation is. Mm -hmm. And so you're putting yourself there. As an academic, having a bigger voice, um, I actually probably write best when I'm irritated. And so I had a lot to be irritated about. I Something, and in addition to the heavy duty academic articles, some of which you might've been exposed to, later on took the opportunity, I did something like 42 columns for Lexpert magazine. They started off with a, an ethics column and then actually gave me the back page to kind of pontificate on stuff. I was amazed how many people actually read that mm -hmm. and thought about it. And I remember uh, actually walking through the, one of the, the, the sort of office tower rabbit, uh, you know, have a trails that, that connect all these buildings through wintertime and a senior lawyer commenting about a particular article that I've written. How dare you make me think about that? And I thought, <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. Um, so I've been really fortunate that way. Worked really hard, came from, you know, very modest, middle class, suburban Toronto uh, opportunities and have had an extraordinary run in terms of actually being able to delve into these environments, say different things, and actually try and make things better. That's why I came back to Canada in terms of landing. You know, why would I leave California to go to Edmonton? Uh, I got asked that a lot. <laughs> yeah. My first September, so this yeah, was actually the end, of, the, end of the first week of September, Jan Arden was doing a concert at the Jubilee Auditorium. And I looked at the electronic signboard outside and it said minus three degrees celsius i took a picture <laughs> sent it back you know this was the first week of september i took a picture of that sent it back to friends in california and said okay what have i done <laughs> for me it really was an opportunity to contribute um, higher education mattered mattered particularly in terms of the personal circumstance and u of a at the time was a place that I thought I could, you know, number one, make a lot, you need a lot of change. Number two, I thought I could make a lot of change. And third, back to your theme, Brett, innovation. Right. The manner in which legal education has failed to innovate with almost some, notable, as bad as some notable exceptions really yeah. sets the foundation for, oh, in totally. many respects, why legal practice hasn't innovated. Are mm -hmm. right. what what are your frustrations? You said you're obviously uh, the best when, or you write the best when you're angry. Hopefully that can translate to a podcast. You're irritated, not angry. Yeah, sorry, irritated. You're correct. It, it's like that kind of you know that little stone that gets in your shoe, and it rattles around and rattles around and rattles around until you finally do something about it. And so, absolutely, this is a way of actually in 800 words or more with a good editor, you know, getting it down to 800 words <laughs> once a month, had the opportunity to kind of vent about something and people actually read it, which was great. Um, the academic articles serve a different purpose and in certain respects were an opportunity to really work out a lot of ideas about what the future should be. In many respects, legal education has not prepared for that future. And especially in Canada, Canadian law schools were very insulated from what I experienced in the US. I moved, I spent my first four years as a professor at Queens between 2004 and 2008. 
got recruited back to the US. I actually was recruited to a place called Pacific McGeorge in Sacramento um, as director of what they called their Ethics Across the Pref Professions Initiative, which was a wonderful grant opportunity to do a lot of ethics programming in different fields, not just legal education. We talk about law in such a silo mm -hmm. and the world doesn't work like that. Exactly. And so these conversations were happening all over. And then, you know, from there crossed over to, into the quote unquote dark side of administration, actually as vice provost for the university here in California in 2013, from there I got recruited up to Canada. So I actually was the sort of number two academic officer for the entire university that I was at. And then the deanship came up. So I've seen it both at the center and at a faculty level. And I think what's happening in US legal education is very much affected by what I saw in 2008, which was the economic crash decimated uh, a lot of law schools. Canadian law schools were very heavily insulated from it. They didn't have the same issues with either getting students in, getting them to pay for it, passing the bar, where standards were. I mean, it's a very, very different marketplace in the US with 200 law schools, mm -hmm. 200 right. ABA accredited law right. schools. And so, you know, Canadians were actually quite immune from a lot of those pressures or Canadian law schools were immune from those pressures, but I think immune from the opportunities to actually do stuff that was creative and interesting and different. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, the fact that there is a pretty limited number of Canadian law schools would facilitate the opportunity to innovate collectively. <clears throat> you know, you're not dealing with 200 institutions across all these different States, like the Canadian market as compared to the U S has the opportunity to be a game changer for legal services in North America. Like I really believe that Canada could set the precedent that, you know, the U S could adopt later, but it's always going to be more challenging in the U S because you've got 50 players instead of, you know, 12. That actually leads to a really interesting conversation about competition, innovation, and taking risks. And one of the things that I really noticed coming back, not only in higher education, but even just in terms of the economy generally, and this was you know, a difference a little bit between Calgary and elsewhere was that Canadians in business, in law Life. and otherwise were in many respects risk averse. Right. You know, when it came to ice hockey, no, not so much, like, <laughs> right. You know, elbows out away you go. But in terms of actually being afraid to take a chance, make a mistake, risk a loss, there's, much more stomach for that in the US and much more stomach for people who have failed. I remember actually attend, attending a venture capital presentation when I was at Stanford and one of the people who was ahead of a VC at that point said, I want to get you after you fail twice on somebody else's money. I love that. I love that <laughs> so amazing. much that, that, that appreciation of taking a chance and failing to learn. And, you know, Paul, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I've had such an affinity for you since I started reading your work and then we got to know each other is, you know, I think undoubtedly me and you are both risk takers and that is a very unique characteristic to have in Canada and especially in the Canadian legal market. Well, I was going to say people don't think of law and risk taking right. in usually the same sentence, mm -hmm. but I think for me, the animating feature, I mean, I've taken risks all the way along going where I've gone has been a risk. Yeah. Um, it hasn't been conventional. It certainly hasn't been easy. 
it's been uh, interesting. Friends of, friends of mine who have you know joined a law firm when we graduated, articled there and stayed, are now senior partners, heads of department, and the like. Uh, nice houses, all of those yeah. sorts of things. For me, I've had a richness in experience and opportunity. Have met some amazing people and have had some wonderful chances to hopefully make a difference and and, and again to make things better for people who otherwise aren't situated to do that. And I think that's one of the things that inspires me about what you're trying to do with good lawyer, not only for the lawyers who you're working with, but more importantly for the clients who can't access, you know, don't even know where to start in terms that's of right. actually accessing legal services. And when you think about it, you know, you go to Canadian courtrooms, people are robed. There's a lot of formality. There's a lot of ceremony. It's frankly Scary. really intimidating. It is. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. And there are players who are kind of this mystery and demystifying a lot of that, making it accessible. I think if anything, you know, one of the outcomes unintended or otherwise of pandemic is the fact that everybody now is accessing things through technology and it's really going to open the courts. It's mm -hmm. going to open lawyers. It's going to open the system. I mean, you're seeing people as humans working from home, whether cats or well, yours aren't actually sort of trotting across your screens or kids are walking in and out. I mean, we're mm -hmm. actually humans behind what we're doing professionally. And so that accessibility needs to happen in legal services and has needed to happen in legal services for a long time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've been talking about, you know, I think how me and yourself are kind of oddballs in, in the legal world a little bit, but the one word that you said that really resonated with me more than any other word was impact. And, you know, so far, and, you know, I, I believe that you have a lot more impact to go. Um, what's the biggest impact you've made to date? It's come in different ways. One of the things that I actually think may have impact in terms of my legal career, you know, I'll, I'll put legal education in a separate category because I've had really wonderful and part of the reason for doing it was honestly to have impact in the lives of my students mm -hmm. and there are more stories where i know my intervention at some stage for an individual student has made a difference and i've had some of them come back years later um now that i have more gray hair i can sort of feel my age on that <laughs> front but where something i did or said inspired them to do something differently. And I had somebody actually talk to me about how they were teaching their kids differently about how to do something because of something I had worked with them on in law school. Right. That's both really strange and really, really satisfying. I think professionally, the work that I did with the ABA's, the American Bar Association's Ethics 2020 Commission, which mm -hmm. some saw as a failure because the uh, group that I was supporting ultimately didn't get any rules to the floor. There were no changes made to open up alternative business structures, multidisciplinary practice or the like. Set the stage for conversation that's still going on. And it's exactly. now exactly. making exactly. manifest yeah. in all sorts of different ways on an accelerated pace. And it's nice to be involved again. I'm, I think, Brad, I've talked to you about this. I ended up getting asked to support the Arizona Supreme Court working group that's actually drafting the rules to implement their future legal services task force report. It's mm -hmm. absolutely extraordinary. You've got developments in Utah and in California where they're coming up with what they call sort of regulatory sandboxes where they're going to try stuff. Mm -hmm. You've got all sorts of commissions all over the United States now taking a look at 
liberalizing who can deliver legal services, where they can be delivered, how they can be delivered. What Arizona is attempting to do will come forward in a couple of weeks time in a formal rule. Uh, it, there's been a couple of iterations of rule drafts circulated. The formal final deadline is later this month. <clears throat> the Arizona Supreme Court will make its determination whether or not to implement it in August. I'm one of, you know, I'm just a small part of that working group, but I've had a couple opportunities to be at the table in a discussion about how should we do this? And, you know, having a discussion, did a presentation at the International Bar Association meeting last fall with the woman who's the executive director of the Law Society of Singapore, the guy who used to head the European regulator. Everybody's looking about this and the chance to have the opportunity to be at the table, to talk about it, to try and push some of my ideas forward respectfully in the context where things are moving. I'm hoping we'll have more impact. Thanks again to Paul for being on the show and make sure you tune in next week for part two of our conversation. The Good Lawyer Show is produced by Brock Pachelik. If you like what you heard, we would greatly appreciate if you took a quick second to give us a five-star rating. And of course, make sure you hit that subscribe button to ensure you're not missing any nuggets of wisdom from our fantastic guests. Until next time, we hope you have a great week. Thank you.